my regular conversation with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers, legally speaking, on CFAX 1070. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing great. COVID-free and good to be here. Absolutely. All trying to steer clear of this Omicron variant. I tell you, it's skyrocketing just about everywhere. Um, now, you and I have discussed in the past that family law can be among the most challenging areas of law for practitioners in the legal pr- profession because the stakes when it comes to a child or custody of a child or the health and well-being of a child cannot be higher in many cases in the minds of the parent. Now that children ages 5 to 11 can be vaccinated with respect to COVID-19, I would suspect that this is creating some friction. You would be correct. Um, We've seen since, uh, particularly since the vaccine was approved for younger children, uh, disputes all across the country between uh, divorced or separated parents uh, about uh, whether their younger children should be vaccinated. Um, And so we've seen cases in different provinces uh, analyzing that issue, uh, and uh, essentially they come to the same conclusion, which is, yes, they should. Hmm. Um, The interesting element of it, uh, and it's one of the things I must say that uh, generally commends the uh, justice system, is the fact that you have to have reasoned, uh, objective analysis for decisions, right? The, the whole idea of going to court is you've got a, a, an impartial person who is going to the judge, look at all of the evidence, and, and not simply come to a decision, but explain how they've come to the decision so anyone can read it and see how they've come to it, right? It's not just a matter of the length of the person's foot. Uh, and so um, one of the uh, cases uh, of the sort that I've uh, described uh, just came out of Alberta. I thought it was an interesting one worth commenting on. Um, The fact pattern involved um, divorced parents uh, who have uh, a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old child, uh, and the mother wished to have the children vaccinated, uh, but the father was uh, resistant to that uh, and had apparently been taking his cues from information he was finding on the uh, Internet. I see. Uh, Not always a a source of uh, truth. Uh, and so before this judge uh, came all of this material that the judge had, uh, that the father had uh, downloaded from the Internet, talking about things like the so-called pandemic uh, and calling the vaccines experimental, things of that sort. Yeah. Uh, and then evidence provided by uh, the mother and counsel for the uh, mother about um, scientific reports and analysis of the virus uh, and the Uh, vaccine and the testing done on the vaccine for children. And so the case called called upon the judge to analyze all of this material uh, and come to a reasoned uh, decision about it. Um, And so um, it's worth commenting on it from that perspective because the judge took the time to do that, looking at the printouts of material that the father had found and all the information that the mother had found, as well as information provided by a lawyer who was appointed to help the children. Uh, That's something which can also be done in B.C., where you have a lawyer who's appointed just to look out for the kids' interests. Interesting. Um, And so the judge analyzed all of that uh, and uh, concluded that um, the uh, benefits of the vaccine uh, very substantially outweighed uh, the small risks uh, that it posed to children. Everything, of course, has some small uh, risks associated with it. Yes. Uh, but uh, the judge concluded uh, that the vaccine, the benefits of it vastly outweighed 
the small uh, risk uh, that could occur. Um, and the, the judge was also quite critical uh, of the sort of material that the father had sort of fallen for uh, online. Um, and the, the other uh, challenge with the case was that the father, who was the person who was the vaccine skeptic, mm-hmm. was providing this material to the 10 and 12 year old uh, mm-hmm. and telling them things about the vaccine that caused the children to become very worried about it, right? They had the father presenting them with this material, telling them this could harm them. Um, And so at the end of the day, after analyzing all of the material and the evidence before the judge, he concluded what it indicated. Um, And so uh, he ordered uh, several things, including uh, that the children should be uh, vaccinated when the mother uh, saw fit to have that done. Further, the judge ordered uh, that future medical decisions, if the parties can't agree, will, will be made by the mother. Wow. Um, and furthermore, uh, that the father is to cease providing the children with uh, age and appropriate uh, information that he's finding on uh, dubious websites, causing them to be concerned about uh, getting uh, vaccinated. Interesting. Uh, and so it, it's an interesting thing because it does involve that element of rationality, carefully looking at everything. Uh, from the perspective of uh, the legal test for children, which is uh, in Canada, what is in the best interest of the child? Yes. Right? It's not analyzed from the perspective of what the parents want or what rights do the parents have. It's always to be analyzed from the perspective of what's in the children's best interest. And so having done that, uh, the mother will be allowed to vaccinate the children. She'll be given future um, authority to make medical decisions if they can't agree uh, and uh, the uh, father's been directed to stop uh, providing this unre- unreliable age-inappropriate information to the uh, children, which is causing them uh, anxiety. Uh, and so uh, happily, the 10- and 12-year-old, I suspect, will be off uh, getting their shots, uh, hopefully uh, sooner rather than later. I also find it's of interest that neither parent will be permitted to speak negatively about the other in front of the children. So the mother won't be able to say, your father's an idiot, he doesn't know what he's talking about, he's wrong about the vaccine either. So there is a little bit of symmetry there in terms of shielding the children from the dispute entirely. That's true. Uh, and, and you hope those kind of provisions work, right? At least it, it could serve as a reminder uh, to both people that they need to bear in mind you know, what their role is. They're not there enforcing some kind of a right you have as a parent. No. What they're doing is sort of serving uh, in the best interest of the kids, right? And it doesn't serve kids well uh, to have parents bad-mouthing one another and telling them how the other person is a, a nutter or whatever it might be. Um, and so hopefully that admonition is a reminder uh, not to do that uh, and to focus on um, what their best interest is and to do that Uh, in a a rational way. Uh, And a good reminder to everyone, don't believe everything you read on the internet. One of the challenges, of course, in 2021 is whatever wacky view somebody might have, you'll you'll find a thousand other people uh, parroting that wacky view. And if you start searching for it, it's a virtually self-reinforcing state of affairs where algorithms will keep showing you uh, whatever um, you know, misguided uh, thought you might have. Yeah. If you start searching for it and reading it more and more, you'll get fed the same thing because the algorithms on social media and uh, for search sites are intended to feed people things that they will continue to pay attention to. That's yes. how you sell advertising, right? Yep. You you don't make any money 
uh, if you are feeding people things that they have no interest in seeing and contradict what they <laughs> think, they move on and go somewhere else to find self-reinforcing things. And so if you start down the rabbit hole uh, of reading things on social media or searching for things uh, claiming that the you know pandemic is fake or the <laughs> government's out to magnetize your arm or whatever it might be, you will find thousands of other people who are joining in the chorus warning you about the risks of becoming magnetic if you get vaccinated. Uh, and it's all nonsense, but uh, for the people who are reading that, it, it no doubt feels real, right? Yeah. It, because, you know, the the Internet doesn't have an editor to it, right? No. You know, when you pick up the newspaper or listen to the radio or television, you're not going to, you know, the, the completely unreasonable <laughs> Uh, views are going to get filtered out. You're just not going to, you know, hear people warning you about the risk of becoming magnetic if you get vaccinated against the flu or something, right? Yeah. No doubt there are people out there that think that, but it's going to get weeded out. Uh, but that's simply not true online. And moreover, once you start reading about it, you'll get more and more of that, and it can wind up reinforcing people's misguided views. So I, I suppose uh, it can be hard to break out of that. Uh, but uh, you do have judges all across the country who have no particular interest in, you know, they're not the vaccine manufacturer, they're nope. not the government, they're not running for anything. Their task is to make a, a rational and partial decision who are looking at all of the information and who are coming to the exact same conclusion that this uh, Superior Court judge in Alberta came to and carefully explaining how it is they came to the decision. Um, and so uh, perhaps that would give uh, some people some comfort that you've got smart and partial people who have no interest in anything in terms of the parties or economics or uh, political interests or anything else. They're not trying to sell you advertising and they're not uh, trying to get you to keep clicking on the Facebook page, uh, having looked at it all uh, and who are uh, coming to exactly this conclusion, uh, which is uh, when you look at it. Uh, it is clearly uh, in people's interest to become to get vaccinated to protect themselves and to protect their community. Legally speaking, here on CFAX 1070, we'll continue in just a moment. Stay with us. Legally speaking continues on CFAX 1070. Joined by Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. What's next on our agenda, Michael? Uh, next on the agenda would be the operation of the uh, COVID-19 uh, Related Measures Act and what it does with respect to uh, potential uh, liability for spreading COVID-19. Um, and the background of that is that in BC, we have the, an act called the Emergency Program Act, uh, which we've been using with uh, depressing regularity as a result of uh, floods and <laughs> the pandemic and so on, that provides some special powers to uh, government to take emergency action. Um, and because COVID-19 had been going on uh, so long, uh, rather than continuing to renew the state of emergency, at least for it, um, we have this act, the COVID-19 Related Measures Act. And both of those pieces of legislation, one of their elements is to uh, limit um, civil claims for negligence, uh, for decisions uh, related to those sort of uh, emergencies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and the rationale for that, I think, is understandable, right? When you have a, an emergency and somebody's making some difficult decision about, you know, do you close this highway or do you, right, do you um, permit the school to be open? You don't necessarily want that to result in litigation if the difficult decision turned out to be wrong. Mm -hmm. 
And the way it works under the uh, uh, COVID-19 Related Measures Act is that their regulations can prescribe whole classes of um, activity or individuals who are exempt from uh, negligence resulting in the spread of COVID um, or difficulties arising from it. And they include things in the regulations, uh, things like decisions made in the promotion of health, uh, the relief of poverty, or the advancement of education or religion. Very broad things. Yes. So what that would mean, practically speaking, would be, for example, um, if somebody was to uh, permit a religious service to go on um, uh, and it turned out that you got COVID from the person sitting next to you, you would not be able to sue the priest or the religious official holding the ceremony or necessarily the government for permitting the religious ceremony in the first place or the school to be open, for example, uh, on the basis of simply negligence or carelessness. Hmm. Right. However, that exemption uh, is only for the regular sort of negligence, which would be carelessness, right? Failing yes. to meet the standard of care of somebody acting reasonably in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. What is not exempted is gross negligence. Interesting. Uh, so there's a threshold. More than there is. You can't just do anything you like, right? Mm-hmm. And that seems reasonable. Yeah. Right? And so what then is gross negligence and how might it uh, interface with some of the decisions that are being made currently? Uh, and that concept of gross negligence, courts have tried to define that over time. They've spoken about it as um, something it could include willful misconduct, uh, right? Like if you knew if somebody came in and said, I've got COVID and the you know religious officials says, oh, come on in anyway, sit over here. I right? see. Uh, next to Adam, you might, that might <laughs> turn into willful misconduct, right? Hey, you knew the person was infectious. You asked them to sit down. But it can also include something short of willful misconduct. It can include wrongdoing, which would be described as a, you know, very marked departure from the standard that a reasonable person would uh, engage in. And what that is can depend on factors including the degree of risk uh, and the standard of care that you have for somebody. And so there's another case that speaks about it this way. It says, therefore, in situations where the standard of care is very high, like, for example, if you're caring for a a child or a vulnerable person, right? Yes. The standard for gross negligence um, is arguably less uh, than ordinary care, where the where particularly egregious conduct can result in, uh, you know, a very serious risk. I so see. let's imagine, you know, let's imagine you're putting a child on a bungee jump with, uh, you know, a concrete at the bottom of it. Yes. Right. It, it would. You're you've got you're doing that for a child. You've got a very high standard of care there. Right. And so and the grievous potential harm if the, you know, rubber band isn't tied up. And so there would be a higher expectation there, even if the only liability potential was for gross negligence. And so the potential relevance of that in the current sort of policy matrix um, is that we, you've talked about the uh, success we've had in getting children that have been old enough to get vaccinated vaccinated. And that's great. Yeah. Uh, but younger children, right, 5 to 11, uh, have only recently become eligible to get vaccinated. And in British Columbia, the decision was made to not allow the second shot uh, for a period of eight weeks rather than three weeks, which would be the interval that the uh, Pfizer company 
would specify for the vaccine. Hmm. The rationale for that is that BC seemed to have some good success in having doses spread out longer for uh, adults, right? When we had a shortage of vaccine at the beginning of the uh, pandemic when that was available. But what it means is that even diligent parents uh, who are trying to get their younger children vaccinated would not have had time to get their kids both of their shots, right? That's only been available now for about a month. Yeah. Uh, And so, uh, while the government has made the decision to uh, require ordinary employees to be vaccinated, right, and they'll be, you know, suspended and eventually terminated if they don't get vaccinated, provincial government employees, they've made the decision not to do that for teachers or staff in elementary schools. Mm. Um, And they've left that instead with school boards. Yes. Uh, And we've seen decisions where the school boards have also decided to pass on the issue, right? We've seen that, I think, in Souk recently, and Saanich made that same uh, decision. But what it means uh, is that you've got a circumstance where there are young children for whom you'd have a very high standard of care, right? You're caring for a young child. uh, And where you know that they cannot, no matter how diligent they might be, have gotten fully vaccinated. Making the decision in that context with the rapid spread of the Omicron variant to say we are not going to require teachers or staff uh, to be vaccinated to therefore protect the uh, young children for whom you would have a very high standard of care and where we know that in some you know, uh, happily rare cases, there can be extreme harm uh, if a child were to get uh, infected. Yes. And so it's in that matrix, at least for the next month or so, where if somebody was looking at, would the protection uh, available in the COVID-19 Related Measures Act or the equivalent protection in the Emergency Program Act shield, uh, let's say, the government or the school board uh, or indeed a teacher hmm. who decided to come in uh, and care for young, vulnerable children, well, unvaccinated. Interesting. And you would have to analyze that from the perspective of, would that rise to the standard of gross negligence? Hmm. Is that more than just, well, I was not quite as careful as I should have been, right? Where you have a known risk yeah. uh, and a very high standard of care and a potential extreme harm. Um, and so I would urge uh, those who are in uh, positions to consider whether you should extend the requirement for vaccination not only to, you know, government employees working at the whatever it might be, right? Yeah. Uh, dealing with the public in some fashion. Whether you should extend that same requirement uh, to teachers uh, who we know uh, are uh, caring for uh, young children uh, who are not fully vaccinated uh, in the uh, context of a uh, pandemic uh, and with a uh, variant that appears to be extremely infectious. And so I would hope that uh, those in charge of those decisions, be that the provincial government who could clearly act or school boards who could also clearly act or indeed teachers or staff who are making an individual decision about what they're doing, I would urge them to think about what uh, they're doing and what their decisions are uh, in the context of whether is what you're doing here grossly negligent, Hmm. bearing in mind the high standard of care you've got for children uh, and what what you're doing is, of course, knowing. Nobody can be uh, unaware of the fact that 
uh, young children, 5 to 11, cannot have been fully vaccinated in British Columbia because of the the time period. People would know that. Uh, Teachers would know it if you were going in to teach and you're not vaccinated. School boards would know it if they made the decision not to require vaccination, and the provincial government would clearly know it. And so I suppose what I would say is that you're not necessarily protected uh, by those uh, provisions if what you're doing uh, meets that uh, relatively low standard of gross negligence. And so I would ask people to think carefully about those decisions, both personal and policy, depending where you are in that uh, matrix, and ask yourself whether what you're doing uh, would uh, make it uh, through uh, even that filter of gross negligence, bearing in mind uh, that you're caring for uh, young children. Michael Mulligan, a pleasure as always. Legally speaking here on CFAX 1070, looking forward to, I think we're doing one of these next week, aren't we? It uh, sounds good to me. All right, December the 30th. If I'm here, and I believe I will be, I look forward to speaking with you then, Michael. A pleasure as always. Sounds good.